five minutes a day. Everybody's got five minutes, and I think it can genuinely alter the relationship with the voice in your head. That's Dan Harris, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Hello, and welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Wednesday. I am grateful for you tuning in with me today as we have Dan Harris on the show, and he is an author, a former television news anchor, and host of the very, very popular podcast entitled 10% Happier. And today, he makes his first appearance on the show to share how workaholism and a bout of depression changed the trajectory of his life forever. Here's Dan Harris. Enjoy. I arrived at ABC News at age 28. I was working with Diane Sawyer, Barbara Walters, Peter Jennings, and I was very aware of how green I was. And my way of compensating for that was to become a workaholic. I just threw myself into the job. And uh, when 9-11 happened, not long after I arrived, I raised my hand to, to go overseas and cover the ensuing conflicts. And in 2003, after a particularly long stay in Iraq, I came home and I got depressed. And instead of dealing with it forthrightly, I did something incredibly stupid, which was that I, I started to self-medicate with cocaine and ecstasy. It was somewhat intermittent. It was never while I was working, or definitely not when I was on the air. When I went to see a doctor, he asked me a series of questions, one of which was, do you do drugs? At, at which point I said, yes. And he gave me a look that said, oh, okay, uh, mystery solved. <laughs> In that moment, I actually wasn't laughing. Uh, it's funny now. I was in a, a shame spiral. I really realized what an idiot I had been for such a long period of time and that I had imperiled this career that I loved. So I knew I had to make some changes, uh, not the least of which was quitting drugs, which I did right there. Totally coincidentally, and as it, turned out, as it turns out serendipitously, my boss and mentor at the time, Peter Jennings, this guy, uh, assigned me to cover faith and spirituality for ABC News. This was an assignment I very much did not want. So as it turned out, it was a great thing for me. One of my producers recommended that I read a book by this gentleman, Eckhart Tolle. So I got the book in the mail, and I thought, initially, that it was irredeemable garbage. Uh, it was filled with pseudoscience and talk about vibrational fields. Just as I was about to throw the book out the window, he started to unfurl a thesis about the human condition that I had actually never heard before. His argument is that we all have a voice in our heads, the inner narrator that is the central feature of all of our lives. It's the voice that chases you out of bed in the morning and is yammering at you all day long. It has you constantly wanting things, comparing yourself to other people, thinking about the past and the future instead of focusing on what's happening right now. And for me, this was a huge aha moment. This is what made me do all the things that I'm most embarrassed about. 
I didn't know that 2,500 years before Eckhart Tolle's, it was this guy who was talking about the voice in the head. All the stuff that I liked most in Tolle seemed to have been lifted from the Buddha. At this point, a fresh problem arose because the Buddha had an explicit prescription for dealing with the voice in the head, but my problem was what he was suggesting sounded repellent, meditation. But then I did some research and I learned that actually there's this, this explosion of research, of scientific research into meditation that seems to suggest a, an almost laughably long list of health benefits from lowering the release of the stress hormone cortisol to lowering your blood pressure to boosting your immune system to uh, mitigating depression, anxiety, ADHD, helping with things bizarrely like psoriasis and even irritable bowel syndrome. And the neuroscience gets straight up sci-fi. They've been putting meditators' heads into brain scans and finding incredible things. Just as a quick example, in 2010, Harvard did a study of novice meditators, people who had never meditated before. They were taught how to meditate for just eight weeks. And what they showed was that they, they literally grew their gray matter in the areas of the brain associated with self-awareness and compassion, and they shrank the gray matter in the area associated with stress. Now, I should also say the other thing I learned at this point was that despite its massive PR problem, it's actually a very simple brain exercise. Step one is you just sit comfortably. You just want to have your spine straight so they don't fall asleep. Step number two, oh, you should close your eyes too. Uh, step number two is uh, you want to find the place in your body where you feel your breath most prominently, usually your belly, your chest, or your nose. And you just want to feel the breath coming in and going out. Step number three is the biggie, and this is the only, this is the final step. Uh, as soon as you start doing this, your mind's going to go bazonkers. You're going to start thinking about what, why did I have that extra cookie? Why did uh, Dances with Wolves beat out Goodfellas for Best Picture? <laughs> Ancient resentments will come up. It's, go it's gonna be tough. The whole game is you catch your mind wandering and bring yourself back, bring your attention back to your breath. This is gonna happen a million times. Uh, and every time you do that, it's a radical act. You are doing a bicep curl for your brain. You're breaking a lifetime of habit of walking around in a fog of memory and anticipation. You're actually focusing on what's going on right now. So when I learned all this, I decided to give it a shot. I started doing five or 10 minutes a day. And I found out pretty quickly that it, it, it had two significant benefits. The first was focus, um, which in this era of text messages and emails and tweets and status updates, focus is a very difficult thing. But the bigger thing is this word mindfulness, which has become a bit of a buzz phrase of late. But a very simple serviceable definition is the ability to see what's going on in your mind at any given moment without getting carried away by it. This is an enormously powerful thing, just by way of example. You're at Starbucks, somebody cuts you off in line. The way our minds work, most of us will automatically think, I'm angry. And then we will immediately and reflexively inhabit that thought. We will become angry. With meditation on board, some percentage of the time, you will have a buffer between the stimulus and the response. You'll be able to see that you're thinking there's a starburst of angry thoughts happening and you're, you're feeling self-righteous, but you don't necessarily have to take the bait. Some of you may be thinking, aren't there times when you should be angry? Aren't there things in the world where you, that you need to fight for or against? Uh, and my answer is yes, of course. Meditation, the idea isn't that you should become some sort of lifeless blob. There is a difference between wisely responding to things and blindly reacting. In my view, this is a superpower and is an incredibly scalable skill. 
which is why it is now being adopted in a whole strange variety of corporations, from Google to Procter & Gamble to Aetna to Target to General Mills. Hat tip to our hosts here, Wired Magazine ran a great article not long ago about how meditation is really taking off in Silicon Valley. Uh, they called it the new caffeine, which I love, actually. In fact, it's not just corporations who are doing this. It's now athletes, including the Super Bowl championship uh, Seattle Seahawks, who have a meditation teacher. Most interestingly to me, both the U.S. Army and the U.S. Marines are spending millions of dollars to find out whether meditation can make more effective and resilient warriors. I believe that meditation is the next uh, public health revolution. I think that in the not too distant future, we're gonna start seeing meditation the way we see physical exercise. Uh, it's gonna join the pantheon of no-brainers like brushing your teeth. It's gonna be one of those things that we do, and if we don't do, we feel guilty about. Um, it presents a radical notion, which is happiness, which many of us have long sort of assumed is entirely dependent on exogenous factors such as were our parents nice to us? Uh, did we marry well? Are we making enough money? Happiness is actually a skill something that'd be self-generated and practiced just the way you can build your body in the gym. If I can leave you with anything today, it is that you, you should set aside your preconceptions, which are most likely misconceptions, and give this a try. Five minutes a day. Everybody's got five minutes, and I think it can genuinely alter the relationship with the voice in your head. Big thanks to Dan Harris for stopping by. If you'd like to connect with him and his work, you can go to his website, 10percent.com. His personal Instagram is Dan Harris. His podcast Instagram is 10% Happier. And his latest book, which is a New York Times bestseller that has been revised, is entitled 10% Happier Revised Edition, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, A True Story. And I got this clip from YouTube. It is entitled ABC's Dan Harris on how meditation can make you happier. All right. That is a wrap for me. As always, I appreciate you. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.